Blog Talk Radio. Berserk 
over the weekend, just with the all-star festivities themselves, when you talk about Jamal Murray and Jamar, uh, Anthony Davis winning MVP of their respective games, that in itself was enough. And then you top it off with the DeMarcus Cousins trade to the New Orleans Pelicans. We have friend of the show, Jim Eisenhofer, who was on with us. Believe it or not, Jay, I looked it up. He came on with us. It was in July of 2015 when the Pelicans had made their uh, appearance in the playoffs. The only time they'd been in the playoffs, uh, they faced the Warriors. So he came on a few weeks after that. Uh, and we talked about AD and, and the state of the Pelicans then. And now we're going to talk about the market joining AD. Of course, he covers the Pelicans for NBA.com, Pelicans.com. He was at the press conference today covering All-Star Weekend and all that. So we got so much fun stuff to talk about with Jim. He's coming up at 630. Uh, if you want to give us a call, it's 845-277-9373. Uh, Facebook. Cat Talk Wednesday, Twitter, Cat Talk Wednesday. Those are ways to get up with us. Most people usually tweet at us. Sometimes we get some calls in there, but mostly it's usually more on the, quote, Twitter machine, is what Oscar Cole likes to call it. So however you want to call us and get in touch with us, feel free to do so. Uh, and I, I got a flashback to this. There's always something crazy to go on, like, you know, right after we're done on Wednesday night or Thursday, and it's like, oh, man. And then by the time you get to, you know, six days later, you know, Wednesday, it's died down. But in the biggest city in our state, their hometown of Louisville, a certain athletic director got a little secret money. What what was the vibe? Was it just another scandal piled on to the, the, the stack of scandals happening in Louisville with that secret $6 million that that John Drew's got? How did Louisville fans react? when that first came down. Of course, it's died down now, but, I mean, you're right there. It'll be what's happening with it. Pretty much at this point, it is scandal fatigue. I'll be honest with you. It didn't (laughs) move the needle. It's just just another, oh. I mean, it's just, you know, we've gone into some detail about some of the things on the athletic side and academic side. Uh, L, Dr. Ramsey, is no longer the uh, the president of the university, and it comes out that it's just been into the millions of dollars that uh, Ramsey and his staff uh, were compensated over above what they should have been. So this above or below-the-board payment, it doesn't shock anybody, but it, 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 it should. That's the thing. Uh, I saw some folks say, well, you know, he, he deserves it. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody's going to disagree that uh, Jurich has done a, a very, very good job moving Louisville from kind of the outer reaches to, to being in the ACC. But all his compensation needs to be above the board. Uh, the problem we run into is when uh, you, you start to do you start to do things that aren't kosher just because they make sense but as a public university you know that you have responsibilities to uh, to the state to the the taxpayers and everything uh, so uh, it's just another head scratching development that just I'll be honest with you a lot of people are just numb mm-hmm. 
And I, I just had to ask because you kind of keep your finger on the pulse, sometimes probably not even willingly, but just because you live in Louisville. But you've written a lot of good articles about it, uh, about the Young Center stuff and, and as well as all the other things pertaining to Louisville. So at least I had to just ask about it, even though it is, you know, six days removed. And it does, like you said, at this point, make everybody's heads kind of spin, but uh, at least it's cool to get a little perspective on it. So uh, what else, man? You got, you got soapbox stuff. What's, what's just ready to jump out of your mouth on this episode of Cat Talk Wednesday? Well, we're going to kind of get into it a little bit, I think, uh, as we talk about uh, the, the Boogie uh, Brow team up there in New Orleans. Uh, but, uh, you know, Colin Cowherd, uh, resident gas bag, formerly of ESPN, now on Fox Sports, the hill he chose to die on. And, and I get it. Uh, I, I get it to a point, as, as you and I know, it's it sometimes, you know, it's kind of rare, but there's times where we're like, okay, what? do we do to what do we talk about? You know, there's patches where there's not a lot going on and, you know, I've got a lot of respect for those folks that do it, you know, sports talk two, three hours a day. I mean, something, you know, yeah. there's, there's only so much. I understand that. But mm-hmm. he chill, he chooses ridiculous hills to die on, you know, and it's not, I, I personally think Skip Bayless puts on a show. I'm like, he, he really can't believe these things he's saying. It just makes no sense. I think uh, Skip is a, as a salesman is a, is a character. I, I just refuse to believe that. But Cowherd on the other hand will give you some nuanced, uh, criti- you know, criticism of the sports world, but then he delivers a scorching hot take when he talks about NBA players that went through the University of Kentucky have have underperformed. He's been underwhelmed by what they have done. And you want to say, well, yeah, I mean, they haven't won any championships. And, yeah, okay. But then, wait a minute. We've had a lot of top draft picks. And where do top draft picks go? To the worst teams in the league. And you have to think about, we okay, the, the kind of the, the top guys that have come through, been drafted very, very high. John Wall. I mean, he, he's led the Wizards into the playoffs, had some pretty deep runs. But but you're kind of penalizing for not making the finals because of LeBron. Well, nobody's beating LeBron in the playoffs from the Eastern Conference. I mean, that's obvious. He's getting to the finals. So, you know, you, you run into that. <laughs> then you look at, you know, we'll talk about DeMarcus Cousins. Let me just say Sacramento, in my estimation, is a terribly run franchise. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to put a, the blame for that on DeMarcus Cousins. He's been a very good player, but besides him, look, there's a there's a listing of the other lottery draft picks they've had around DeMarcus Cousins. 
And I'm talking about like Thomas Robinson, just forgettable guys. And he's had <laughs> in seven seasons, he's had six coaches. I mean, what what is that? There's no stability, none. So there's that. Anthony Davis, New Orleans, made it to the playoffs the one year. Okay, here's your prize. You get to play. You know, the, the Warriors on their run to the title. Uh, but New Orleans has not been the best-run franchise. But there's a lot of really good Kentucky guys. And you have to say, the oldest, you know, most tenured, you look at Wall and Cousins, and I, I just I think it's it's unfair to say, well, they're not LeBron. Well, there's only one. You know, they haven't broken through the, the glass. I mean, or, you know, to the championship level. And I just think that's an unfair standard. Uh, my thing is, you know, uh, you look at PTI, they always talk about do you take this situation or the field? Look, over the next couple of seasons, and I'm talking about three or four seasons, think about the kind of talent that, it, that is going to be in the NBA from Kentucky. With Julius Randle, one of like five or six guys to have multiple triple doubles this year. Over the last four seasons, the only two players to average 20 and 10 each and every season, we will talk about more in depth, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Look, and, I, and, and those are your upper guys. What is the ceiling on Carl Anthony Towns? We have finally seen a healthy Nerlens Noel. What, what is Booker's ceiling? What is Devin Booker's ceiling going to be? Jamal Murray, who you point out, won hardware at the Rising Stars game. Give the Kentucky guys three or four years, and I think it's a different thing. To sum it up, his dumbest comment, because he on this he made his original proclamation, then he doubled down on his stupidity. He said, you can write the history of the NBA and not mention the University of Kentucky. Now, I'm going to ignore Dan Issel and his contributions to professional basketball and how his name is hanging up in the Denver Nuggets Hall of, uh, Hall of Fame. I'll ignore that. I won't even talk about what Jamal Mashburn did in Dallas, in Charlotte, in Miami. I won't even talk about that. And, and Tayshawn Prince and his rundown block of Reggie Miller. In the play. I'm not even going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about one guy, Pat Riley, who as a player, coach, and executive, is unmatched in NBA history. He won championships as a player. Hello, he was the coach of the Showtime Lakers, coach of the New York Knicks, getting them as close to a title as they've been since Willis Reed. And he basically enthused and revitalized the NBA, uh, the Miami Heat franchise. How do you tell the NBA story and not mention Pat Riley? Who, if people are scorned at home, no, people know, played for Adolph Rupp at the University of Kentucky. That's a that's a pretty if you're not if you're going to write the NBA story and not include Pat Riley, <laughs> what kind of story is that? Uh, Michelle Ward hits us with with you know Frank Ramsey and I not look, there are names going way back, way back when. Uh, you know, to the 50s when the NBA first started. I've always said we ha- we don't have a Michael Jordan that has come through. Right. We haven't had 
a uh, a Wilt Chamberlain to come through. Mm-hmm. We haven't had an all-time great player yet. I, I, you know, but we've had really, really good players contribute to the NBA. Yeah. People mm-hmm. get hung up on 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 stars and elite guys. In, at any point in time, you 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 only have two or three guys where you say, "Okay, this is the best ever right now. This is this guy right here is the best." Okay, maybe we haven't had those guys. I'll be the first to admit. My point being, okay, we haven't had a lot of guys have just crazy amounts of of NBA success. I think that's what makes what we have done on the college level even greater. You know, when you look at North Carolina and the run of the crazy run of NBA talent they had in the eighties, we haven't had that. We're having it now. So give these guys, give Towns, give Booker, give Eric Bledsoe and John Wall, you know, DeAndre Liggins could mess around and be a key piece to the Cleveland uh Cavaliers puzzle this year. He's getting some very valuable minutes. There's nothing wrong with that. That being said, I'm saying in in two or three years, as LeBron starts to hit the down slope, we'll see what happens with the Warriors. But man, you, you're going to bet against Carl Anthony Towns? And I think we are all excited about what we're going to see in New Orleans. We haven't seen a Twin Towers like this going back what to 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 Samson Olajuwon in in Houston? Yeah, but this this or this could really be Duncan, Tim and Duncan Robinson. If you want to go with them, yeah, two. yeah, and that's still yeah, been Dun- a while. Duncan and Robinson. But but even Dun- uh, but even Robinson was kind of on the tail end. These guys are hitting yeah. their stride. They're going to be side by side. I mean, if they mm-hmm. get, some, and we're going to go into great detail. I know, but this is exciting. This this is what you you want to see. It's it's a it's a it's a stupid hot take, and you can look at the metrics. I, I saw some information about the number of former schools, you know, guys winning NBA championships. In Kentucky, we're top four or five. Uh, you know, with North Carolina, UCLA up there. Uh, so, it's a hot take that I'm like, why are you dying on this hill? when it's obvious that this is not the hill to die on. Uh, you know, Ray yeah, John Rondo, I, I know. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, I was just saying, I, honestly, I, I hadn't even really looked into what he said. Now, I know that's not good when you have a show, but I just heard the blowback <laughs> and, and the residual from it. And I, I really used to like, College guy I heard, I remember one of those, the first national hosts I started listening to probably 10 years ago, maybe. I'm like, man, it was pretty good. I, I kind of worked the split shift. I would finish work, had some chill time. I would listen to him for a while, then go start working again. I was like, well, I like this dude. And he, he was kind of, him and, you know, Jim Rome, of course, been doing it forever. And, you know, I like Colin doing college football. And, I mean, he kind of just, you know, he did everything, but he really – his bread and butter was college football, but it was just ridiculous that he would kind of, like, I mean, just, it's just crying for attention. It is kind of Skip Bayless-esque, and, and just, and like you said, the fact that he doubled down, 
after saying the original one, it, it is really head scratching. Well, and, and my thing is you have to take this with a grain of salt because we all know his bizarre tirade, his, his long-standing just obsession and preoccupation with John Wall. You know, it started with yeah. John Wall's rookie year, and it got on about him dancing and yeah. how he wasn't going to be a good leader, and then he wasn't supposedly bright. John Wall wasn't. He didn't have a father. and we, His father died when he was young. I mean, it's just it, – so he's coming from that angle, and it's just bizarre. It, it, and this is where, okay, when I hear things like that, I'm like, okay, my first thing is, hey, wait a minute. But I'm like, I'm a Kentucky fan. So, okay, let me take a step back and look around and what non-Kentucky fans are saying. And I've got Louisville, Indiana, people talking about, like, okay, that's crazy talk. Then you see other people in the media saying, what are you talking about? I mean, really, what are you talking about? You know, it, it's, it's this thing where I know one player can make a huge difference in, bas- a difference in basketball, but you just can't look at that kind of thing in the vacuum. Sacramento is a terribly run franchise. And even the Pelicans, you know, you're going to be stuck in that 7-8 slot at best right now, and you're going to take on, what, the Warriors? And the Western Conference is loaded. And I think you have to give the Timberwolves time to get there. It, it's too it, it's too ridiculous to shut the door on uh, on these guys. It, it really is. Uh, I, I I pulled up the episode where we had Jim on with us you know, about a, a year and a half ago. I guess in July 2015, and we were talking about some of this same stuff that week. You and I had both written articles about the Kings because that's when um, they had made a run at John Calipari. Uh, I, th- I forget. I don't know if it was. I forget which coach they had just fired at the time. I mean, like they've been through so many in such a short period of time. But I wrote a, a sarcastic piece, basically saying that's the smartest thing the Kings have done in a while. You know, everything else they do. They screw it up. Hey, at least you're not going to get Cal, but at least try. I mean, that's at least an attempt at trying to do something to better yourself. Uh, you had written a piece about, I think, DeMarcus and, and, and uh, the Kings of Wildcat Blue Nation, and here we are a year and a half later still talking about, you know, how messed up the Kings are. You got Vladdy Divine, your boy, four minutes, y'all traded him and stuff to get Kobe, saying, after the fact that, well, I, I turned down a better deal in, for trading cousins uh, than what we actually did uh, when we worked out this trade with the Pelicans. You got the owner, <laughs> and, you know, no disrespect to Buddy Hill, had a great career in Oklahoma. He, he improved year after year after year. He progressed and made himself into a star. You got the owner saying that, before he even gets to Sacramento, when he plays the game, he's already going to be better than Steph Curry. Kind of going Lonzo Ball's dad, saying he's going to be the next Steph. And, I mean, and so now Buddy Hill's going to walk in the door with that burden already on him, is from an expectation standpoint. 
And you just mentioned that the great Mitch Richmond toiled and labored in vain for a decade or more, you know, and the only love he ever got was when he made the all-star team for that weekend that everybody forgot about him so he went back to Sacramento. So it's, <laughs> they just can't get out of their own way. And outside of Weber, Peja, Vlade, Jason Williams, Doug Christie, Mike Bibby, Rick Adelman, they have been just tripping over themselves for their entire existence. Yeah, it's it's a it's a poorly run franchise. I mean, the big name coach they bring in, George Carl, openly starts feuding with with Demarcus, and and you get, look. I'm not saying you have to kowtow to somebody, but you can't come in and then start talking about trading your best player. Nobody's gonna say nobody is going to settle for that. Uh, so it's just a bad franchise, and you have to say top picks go to bad franchises. And a lot of these mm-hmm. teams have been bad for a long time, uh, like Sacramento. Uh, the the Pelicans have not had a great historic run. Uh, you know, so th- it's not like they're going – and that's the thing is you look at, well, Tim Duncan was a top draft pick. Well, that, you know, that was lucky for the Spurs to get that number one pick and, 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 and be able to pair him with a, a, a heel David Robinson. Okay, that works. Right. You know, the Spurs right. were a good team. Yeah. But these are 20 games that year. The year Robinson's hurt, they, they dropped down to 20 games, and they happened to – was that the lottery back then? Ping pong balls back then? Yeah. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was a lottery yeah. back then. Yeah. They ended up with Tim Duncan. Yeah. Right. So, these guys are on teams that have not had any low, recent success or any long-term success. And, and maybe I am wearing my big blue glasses when I'm looking, but they're but they're dominating, and uh, because my thing is they're they're winning games against really good teams, so it's not like the classic putting up bad good numbers on a bad team. I I, I just don't see that being the case. Uh, you know this this brush they tried to paint Cousins with as being a hothead and all this kind of. What's the difference between him and Draymond Green? Draymond's on a team that's really good, and when, you know you put you put Demarcus on that team or in a different situation, and we'll see. He's going to be different. Um, yeah. So I'm excited about that. That's kind of my soapbox uh, moment. Uh, I was going to write something, but I, you know, I've, as you point out, I've written that article before. Uh, we've talked about it before. <laughs> You know, I, I did write a piece not too long ago. Don't even feed the trolls. Look, these guys know. Big Blue Nation, we are fervent, we are numerous, and we will engage. You know, people that hadn't even thought about calling Cowherd, even in passing, you you became aware of these things, and, and that's what saying things about uh, Kentucky's going to do. You know, you remember a couple of years ago in the summertime, CBS Sports, all these coaches' polls, you know, who's the coach you trust or love or whatever. And it was all kind of slated against Cal. Th- these people aren't dumb. They know, hey, you know, most of the big blue nations are going to – we're going to tweet back. We're going to write angry pieces, and you and I are going to talk about it on the show and that kind of thing. So <laughs> that's why they do these kind of things. I, I get it. Uh, so I did not write anything this time. I, I am writing something about the Big Blue Nation itself. 
but we we will cover that when we start talking about some of the games uh, that have occurred uh, over the week. Um, so that that that's uh, uh, we'll, we'll definitely cover that the the Georgia game and the uh, last night at Missouri. Yeah, yeah, because we're we uh, Jim Ashley Hopper be calling anytime, uh, and we'll continue the Pelicans discussion, the Cousins trade discussion. But I'm been really impressed with the Aaron Fox the past couple of games, as we are joined now. Uh, by our guest, a uh, friend of the show, been a while since we had him on, but he covers the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, NBA.com slash Pelicans. Mr. Jim Eichenhofer joins us now to discuss the Marcus Cousins trade. Jim, I know it's it's been a struggle because you don't have anything to write about, nothing to talk about in New Orleans. The writer's block has to be real now, man. I, I'm really feeling your pain. <laughs> Hey guys, good to be with you. Yeah, it's been, well, I've been just trying to figure out, what, man, what do I go from here? I don't, there's nothing going on. It's just quiet. You know, it's just like a <laughs> desert of no topics to write about. No, it's been, uh, it's been incredible. Uh, Sunday night was one of the craziest nights of my, of my career. I have to say with simultaneously Anthony Davis wins MVP of the all-star game in New Orleans, and at the same time, we find out that the, the trade had happened through, um, I think it was Adrian, Adrian Wojnarowski who had had the news. So that was quite a 15 to 20 minutes there Sunday night of of all this stuff happening at once. It was kind of bewildering there for a little while. So is it like the buzz just kind of started going around the building? Is, is, is that how it really just kind of oh, yeah. grew from yeah, there? it was you know what's interesting is a lot. Ninety nine percent of the time when something like that happens, you know, you're in the, the your office or you're with people that you work with. But the thing that was unique about Sunday was you had all these different writers from everywhere across the country and media and across the world really for All Star Games. So when that news started circulating that there was a possibility that it could happen before the game, I heard everyone talking about it, and of course people were asking us, there was a handful of people that are from the Pelicans that were near me and everyone was wanted to know what we thought or what, what if we had any info on what was going down. And then after the game, when it happened, it was just, you know, I was trying to focus on the Anthony Davis MVP thing because there wasn't really much we could do until we knew for sure what was happening with DeMarcus Cousins in the trade. But it was just, it was just hard to really, you know, lock in and, and try to write about Anthony Davis MVP, no offense to him or, or that accomplishment, but it was just unbelievable to have, have uh, that happening. And everyone was talking about, it. I actually got to talk to a couple of people from Sacramento who covered them right after the trade happened. So that was really, and they just happened to be sitting like 20 feet from me. So it was, it was crazy. It was some definitely a situation that I've never seen before and probably something you won't see again, no matter how long you were in the sports writing business. Unbelievable. Now, I know, Jim, uh, at the beginning of the season, the game was originally uh, scheduled to be in Charlotte, and, of course, we thought we know how that happened with the game being switched to New Orleans. Did that change your plans? Would you would you have been in Charlotte for the game, or would you have just kind of taken a few days off and been out in New Orleans, and you kind of have to work that weekend? How did that work? 
That's a good question. Um, in the past, when the game's been in other locations and we've had involvement the past couple of years, um, we've sent video people, and I've taken a few days off, I think partly because I do every single regular season game, so it's pretty conducive to, for me to have a couple days off, and I might I'll, I'll watch whatever participation we have, if it's AD in the All-Star game or somebody in the rookie game or whatever. I'll watch that on TV and maybe write about it or tweet about it, but... But, um, yeah, if it was in another city this year, I probably – I don't know for sure, but I probably would have um, gone home. I'm actually from uh, the Syracuse, New York area, so I probably would have gone home for a few days. But with it, with that being the, not being the case, with it being here, you know, we're always going to be there in person when the game's here for obvious reasons. It's such a great opportunity to cover everything and, and be there. And you, after everything's over, unlike everyone else in the NBA, you get to drive 15 minutes and be in your own bed. So – it's a pretty nice setup when the game does come to your city. I would imagine. So, um, now, I know you're at the press conference today, and uh, I watched it a little bit before the show came on, uh, and, and it wasn't entertaining like you tweeted out. What, what stood out to you the most or, or caught your ear the most from the press, introductory press conference this afternoon, this morning? I think the one thing that stood out to me the most was – I've seen DeMarcus Cousins do some interviews, but not a ton. The thing that surprised me the most was just how funny he was and how, you know, I mean, I wasn't surprised that he was happy because I knew that he, it sounds like from the beginning that once he heard about the trade, he was pretty pleased to be coming here. He's from Mobile, Alabama, which is not that far away. So he's kind of, he's a lot closer to his family, but it just seemed like he was cracking a ton of one-liners and he just had a lot of funny stuff to say. So that was what stood out to me the most about his press conference was just how entertaining he was. And, and Omri Caspi was also pretty funny with some of the quips that they had. They just, they both seemed like they were just in a really good mood and really relaxed. And I think everybody that was there got a big kick out of how it went. It just seemed like it went really well. And um, for people, the people, reporters here that hadn't ever, ever talked to them before. And, and I'm sure for people like you that watched it, on um, TV or online, um, it was just uh, it, it was it was it was more entertaining than your standard press conference where you hear a bunch of cliches, maybe in some standard answers that people, uh, players or athletes or coaches, give sometimes to make sure that they're staying out of trouble or keeping towing the company line of whatever they're supposed to say. So it was it was really fun. I thought you know I'm not sure what your opinion of it was, but it it was definitely enjoyable and and I got a big kick out of watching it. Yeah, 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 that's exactly. the boogie we know. I said that's the that's the Demarcus Cousins that we know. Uh, yeah, just, just very engaging and warm, you know. And, and, and when Kentucky fans say that, folks say, "Well, he's only there eight months or whatever." But these guys come back, and 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 even though they move on to the NBA and do bigger things, you know, they still come back. They're still engaged with us, and this is what we see. Just his press conference, it was a DeMarcus Cousins press conference. Uh, I yeah. think he feels kind of revitalized being in a what I think is a better situation uh, on and off the court for him. Uh, able to kind of buddy up with uh, Anthony Davis, who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Vinny, if they had, had stayed four years, they would have been on the same team together in college, which is would have been ridiculous. But uh, – I'm excited to see what's going to happen down in New Orleans. 
Yeah, I mean, I I feel like we need to open up at this point. We need to open up like a Lexington chapter of the of the Pelicans <laughs> offices or fan club. Maybe we need to have some. I mean, the, the phones have been ringing off the hook. I I think um, downstairs with ticket requests. I'm wondering if they should open up a a, a chapter there so they can you know organize some trips from Lexington down to the uh, Big Easy. Well, you know, the, the Pelicans be... have the big guys, and, and the Suns have yeah. the guards. Is pretty much is pretty much how it goes. <laughs> that's true. And the Suns, the Suns love loves Kentucky players. That's for sure. That's right. <laughs> and as far as, I mean, you know, Kentucky fans love all the guys that come through. Devin Booker is beloved. He was on the thirty-eight one team. Tyler Hewitt, uh he has a special place in everybody's heart. You know, with how small he was, but the heart and the fight that he played with. But but AD, I mean, winning the title in 2012, Boogie being on Cal's first team in 2010, it's, I mean, as far as the actual, I mean, Kentucky fans are going to root for all of them and keep up with all of them. But the Pelicans might be number one now. When you, I mean, with those two and what they meant to UK while they were there, that might move the needle and, and tip things in favor of the Pelicans as maybe being the ultimate favorite UK NBA team. Hmm. That's good to hear. You know, you know, it's funny, just totally coincidentally, side note, um, I watched both of those guys play in the NCAA tournament here because in 2010, I think it was, um, they played, Kentucky played their first two games of the tournament in the Swithy King Center. And then in 2012, when they won the championship, they played in the Superdome. So it's funny just how it kind of comes back full circle that we, they actually got to play some of the most significant games of their career here, and now they're both both here as pros. That, that's right. Yeah. I had not thought about that, Vinny. But, yeah, that, that John Wall team, they did start at – yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, I was at the way I had, I had thought about that. Yeah. The second round game, they played Wake Forest, I remember. And um, Wake Forest had a, some pretty good – had a few guys that ended up playing in the NBA. I think um, Al Farouk Amina was on that team, and I think Ish Smith yeah. was on that team as well. And But Kentucky beat them by like 30. So it, it, was a, it was a pretty impressive performance by them. But then two years later, the, I went to both of the Final Four games because they were right here in uh, New Orleans. So it was pretty – and the SEC tournament was here that year as well in the Smoothie King Center. Yeah. So, yeah, been a lot of Kentucky exposure here the last few years. <laughs> well, they, they, yeah. they love the Big Easy, I'll tell you that. So, Yeah. On on the court, do the Pelicans make this work? Is this something, yeah. can they figure out how how to both, how to utilize both of these 2010 guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the thing that people have talked about in the last couple of days since the trade is that, It'd be different if you were talking about two guys that both do the same, exactly the same thing. Like, say, both of them were post-up guys, and you have to figure out, like, how do we run, how do we integrate both guys in the offense when they both are trying to do the same thing. But based on the fact that they're both so versatile and that Marcus Cousins is actually above-average three-point shooter percentage-wise this season, and AD also has three-point range, and that um, AD is... AD does post up sometimes, but that's not, you know, the the biggest staple of his game. He he scores in a lot of different ways, including, you know, like you guys saw in college, he's very opportunistic with tip tip ins and putbacks and running the floor. So 
I don't think that the team thinks that they're really going to get in each other's way very much just because they can do so many different things. So I think the coaches are excited to look at all the different options and, and look at the playbook and and see exactly how can we figure out the best way to use these guys. And But there's so many different options with, with them. So I think that's why they're very – I mean, we'll see for the first time tomorrow night in a game. But I think there's a ton of optimism and enthusiasm about the fit of pairing those two guys together. Talking with Jim Eisenhofer, covers the New Orleans Pelicans, NBA.com, talking about the, the news that's got all eyes on New Orleans right now with former Sacramento big man, former UK big man, Marcus Cousins, heading down to the Big Easy. Uh, Jim, last time you were on with us, you talked about how uh, you and Cody came back, you know, when you know it was the Hornets and back, you know, through Katrina and all the setbacks they had had, and how the Pelicans were starting out brand new. Everything was so new. The players were new. The nickname was new. It's kind of like an expansion team uh, in, a, in contrast to the things that have been there ingrained, you know, for decades. The addition of Cousins, has it just brought, you know, a, a swell of optimism to the city as, as far as hopes of what the Pelicans net can now do? Because, you know, AD's there, kind of been there by itself for a while, needing some help. Now he's got some help. So his fan base kind of, you know, uh, pumped up now, got a little pep in their step. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if if you look at um, pretty much any different measure, a couple of them that, that come to mind for me is um, the sales calls, the ticket call, calls that the, the team has gotten. Somebody was telling me earlier today that this has been the biggest bump in terms of, interest in people calling about season tickets and individual game tickets that they've had since um, the day or the two couple days after they won the lottery and got Anthony Davis. So that should tell you something right there. You know, that was four or five years ago. Um, so, I mean, that's one measurement. There's also social media has, has just decreased or increased a ton. I mean, there's been so many more people interacting with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and you name it. So, um, but I mean, also if you if you branch out further further from just what we experience here, I mean, anyone who has watched ESPN or any of the national stuff this week, it's been amazing. I mean, partly there's not a, there's not a ton of huge stuff going on in, in the sports world right now, but it's you know with football over and so on and so forth. But if you if you watch on ESPN, it was like the lead story every day. And NBA TV, I, which I watch a ton, is a great channel. Um, has been focusing on this story, you know, maybe 50% of the time with some of their shows that they've had the last few days. So um, just across the board, it's it's been incredible just to see how much people have focused on the Pelicans. And it's there's a lot of stuff to talk about in the NBA, but it seems like that's been the number one topic of of discussion for, you know, since Sunday night when people found out about the trade. Talking with Jim Eisenhofer, covers uh, the Pelicans, NBA.com. You know, the trade deadline is, is, you know, literally here now. Do you see uh, any more moves in addition to Boogie? You know, or will they be big players in free agency now, or would they have been before the trade? Will they still be? What do you see as far as kind of building around the two of these guys? 
it's hard to say it's, it, to take one part of that first um, with, as far as the trade deadline. I think they, they still have – they now have a, a roster spot open, and I think they had some guys that they have looked at as far as trying to fill that spot. But in terms of the trade deadline tomorrow, I'm not quite sure, you know, if it's going to be very active or if they're going to, you know, just settle in with the guys that they have and try to, you know, increase imp- work on the chemistry short term and that kind of thing. Um, as far as the summer goes, uh, Drew Holiday is going to be a free agent. So that's one big decision that they need to make. Um, and there's a few other guys, various other guys that are free agents as well. Terrence Jones is on a one-year contract that you, player you guys know really well there. Um, a couple other guys are going to be in, uh, coming up in free agency as well. So, But I think it's hard on February 22nd to really get into that too much just because – with 25 games left and a major move that they just made, obviously, it's hard to really predict. It's hard to know what's going to happen over the last couple months of the season. And I think, just like with any team, the way that they play over these last 25 games and the way the season ends up is going to be a big factor in terms of how that leads into other decisions that they need to make when you get into the off season. Yeah, definitely. Definitely makes sense. Now, Jim, unlike a lot of Kentucky fans, you know, I'm a diehard Houston Rockets fan, and I have been ever since my childhood team, the Hawks, traded Dominique Wilkins. That made me done with the Hawks. I became a Rockets fan. I feel like I'm my second favorite player. been a Rockets fan ever since. The Rockets are in town tomorrow. They're the first team to get a crack at the new look Pelicans. And, you know, a lot of Pelicans flavor – on the Rockets team now, as you know, I mean, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, uh, those guys never could stay healthy in New Orleans. Uh, Eric Gordon comes back and win a three-point shootout, and I heard the smacking of booze when, you know, his name was mentioned. Uh, is it kind of what might have been, you know, when they see these guys doing well in Houston and Houston having a good year? Is that kind of how it's thought of, like, among the fans? I mean, there might be some of that among the fans, but I think the bullying that you heard during the three-point contest is, is a is a long story that goes back to when, you know, Eric was a restricted free agent and signed uh, an offer sheet with Phoenix and said, my heart's in Phoenix, and basically said he didn't want to resign. And I think a lot of people took that personally because people here in New Orleans are, are very prideful and they are very much – the kind of people that say, like, hey, if you, you, you don't want to be part of us, then we don't want to be part of you. So, I mean, there was more to it than that, of course, but I think that was a big part of it. I wasn't surprised at all that he was booed just because, you know, yeah. also since he's left there, he said some negative things that, you know, hey, everyone has their opinion and they're entitled to say. But, it, you know, when you, when you leave somewhere, you don't want to say negative things after the fact about someone. So, I think people t- were offended as well by that because it was another one of those things where it was like, you know, kind of something that was unnecessary. But, but in terms of those those two guys, I mean, it, it, it's it's tough it's tough to say. I, I do think that this move, you know, coincidentally or maybe not, that this move to get cousins, it's it's kind of another thing that makes people kind of turn the page on whatever happened in the past. And all, although I'm sure that there's going to be people who are, you know, there there will be people that are supportive of both Ryan and Eric tomorrow as well because they appreciate what they did while those two players were here. 
I do think now that people are going to be a lot more apt to, to look to the future and not really worry that much about what's happened in the past because they see a team and the makings of a team now that can that can do some big things and and we're and not and it's a situation where they're not going to need to dwell on what's happened over the last three or four years or whatever. Right, that makes sense too. I was looking at the roster and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but of course you got you know Cousins and and Davis who are right at seven foot, and it, I mean it's like I mean New Orleans is just loaded with bigs. I mean. Uh, like I said, Craig, if I'm wrong, Demo, Monty Yunus, former Rockets, still there. Uh, Ajinka, Omar Sheik, um, and I'm, I can't read my writing on this one. But, I mean, just seven-footers all over the place. Uh, are they going to keep all those big guys, you think? Or, I mean, I think it's just they're kind of like a log jam. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm not sure what what the options are as far as that goes in terms of who's going to stay and who they might try to elect get get moving to somewhere else but I mean you make a good point though about the one thing that you look at right now is that I mean Cousins is going to play you would think 35 plus minutes Davis is going to play 35 plus minutes so there's not a lot of playing time left over beyond those two guys as far as at power forward and center so but I mean you have it's it's definitely a good problem to have to have some other guys and to have some depth instead of having not much you can go to but, I mean, between Terrence Jones, who's had some really good games this year, he had 36 against Cleveland in a game that he was a huge factor of why they beat the Cavs a couple weeks ago. And then Donatus Eunice that you mentioned is, has been a real good player, somebody that the, the, the front office, I think, here really likes. So you have, you have, you know, two other guys that have made some pretty good contributions this season and not a lot of minutes to give them. So it'll be that'll be definitely one thing that people watch is to see how, you know, what they do with, with the other minutes that are beyond um, Cousins and Davis, that that there's just not a lot of opportunity there beyond that, for the, beyond those two guys. You, were, you got right to the next question I was going to ask, the next basketball question. And then, of course, I got a couple of Jim Eisenhopper questions, just like I did last time. Nothing too personal, <laughs> but just like, <laughs> tell us about, I mean, you see every minute, of every game, all season long. But I was going to ask you specifically, just, just tell us what it was like that night Terrence Jones had 36-11 and 11 against the Cavs. I mean, did you – I mean, what were you sitting there thinking as it was unfolding on the court that night? Well, he – if I remember correctly, he had something like 16, 18 points, something like that in the first quarter. So it was one of those games where right off the bat he looked like he, he had that look in his eye like, man, this is going to be a big night. We've seen him – play really well multiple times when I think I'm not sure exactly what it is something like three or four games that Anthony Davis has missed all season this year but every time they've put Terrence Jones in the starting lineup to replace him and he's come up with a huge game so it wasn't really ultimately it wasn't really that shocking that he played well that night but he had 36 and um, I think it was close to a career high for him that night and so it was it was a great it was a great night I mean Drew Holiday also had 30-something points as well. So that really was one of the best wins of the season, maybe the best win of the season. And it was cool to to see Terrence, you know, deliver the way he did in a situation where they pretty much needed everybody that was available that night to, to play well. And they beat the beat the Cavs with um, all three of their big three were, were on the floor that night. So 
you know, maybe the best win of the season. And, and to be honest, I mean, Terrence was giving it to LeBron on both ends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had that yeah. block. He crossed him over. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. you know, he went right at him and, and was, yeah. you know, doing work against him. Yeah, he was great. You know, it's funny. We we see so many games that there is stuff like that that I, I hadn't forgotten about it, but it's like when you mention it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember he had a couple blocks that brought out of LeBron that brought everybody out of their seats. And it was just uh, just a really impressive game by him. That It's one of the things that you watch him play that night and you're like, man, you can see why this guy was a first-round pick and highly touted. He's got he's a very talented guy both both ends of the floor. Absolutely. So Jim, here's the just to you know, as a guy who covered the NBA, covers the league, stuff, you know, appreciate you coming on. I just have to ask you, you know, being from Syracuse and now being in New Orleans, you know, for all these years, you crisscross the country, you know, many times. Of course you're in the Western Conference side more so than in the East. But what is your favorite Western Conference venue, your favorite Eastern Conference venue, arena, you know, and mm-hmm. your favorite Western Conference city and your favorite Eastern Conference city? Man, that's a good question. Um, I've People have asked me that before. I think the, I think the, the short answer to me to favorite Western Conference venue is I think – trying to be as objective as possible the three probably the three best places to watch a game based on the atmosphere in the arena and just how good the crowd is probably in the west would be golden state oklahoma city and portland those three golden state is extremely loud it's you know you when you're there you never feel like oh this is just a ho-hum mundane regular season game on a tuesday no matter when you're there it's really loud okay is the same way Portland, maybe not as loud as those other places, but still very active crowd. And it just feels like kind of like an old school type um, place where people are really focused on the game and there's not a lot of other stuff going going on in the arena. So those are the three places in the West. In the East, um, I would say probably um, also kind of based – not – I don't – I don't think there's as many places that stand out in terms of like the crowds being really loud or crazy, but in terms of the atmosphere or just the history, I in the East I would say Boston is a great place to watch a game. It seems like people are really knowledgeable there and always into it. Um, New York is up there on the list as well because it seems like the Knicks have struggled a lot last few years, but you go to those games and people are really um, – Again, really knowledgeable. They know what's going on with their team constantly. Um, we were there um, a few weeks ago, and it was like everything kind of came to a head the night we were there because Derrick Rose went MIA, and then Carmelo. That was the night that everyone talks about. I think people forget that that was against the Pelicans because it's kind of a side note. But And then Carmelo got ejected in the third quarter because he had two tees, and it was like the fans were about to riot and, you know, it was just it, it was funny just to be there for that, but it wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily be the case in some places where people aren't as into the team as they are. Even though it was a really negative night for them, it was it was interesting to be there with, with people being so um, being so upset and, and so into it. And if I had to pick a third one in the East, I would say, hmm, 
there's there's a few that I think are close. Like Indiana is a great place to watch a game. They have I really like the way that they have like the field house set up there. And then Chicago is great too because they have all the history of from the United Center of the back in the day when Michael Jordan was winning championships there. So there's a lot there's a lot of places. Um, I'd say those are the ones though that in the East that stand out to me the most probably. Cool. And then and the, the other mm-hmm. part of your question was the city was, was cities right? Um, yeah. There's a some of this is probably based a little bit more on like this would maybe be the case more for people that travel with an NBA team than it would be just the average person visiting a city on vacation or whatever. But I like Memphis a ton because everything is really convenient there where we stay at a hotel that's right around the corner from Beale Street and the arena is right there at the at the at one end of Beale Street. So that that's really cool. Um, Los Angeles yeah. is great because of the same kind of situation where um, the it's really convenient and um, the area we stayed near LA Live, so there's always a, a ton of stuff going on. So, um, but yeah, I, I could probably go on and on. But in general, I like the warmer cities. So in the east, I would I'd, <laughs> I'd say my favorite place to go is probably Miami. We stay like right on the water on um, Biscayne Bay, I think it is, and it's just. It's just such a gorgeous place to to spend a couple of days, and then Orlando I like as well for similar reasons that it's just always warm there and it's always nice. Well, that's cool. That's, I should have known Miami in the East. That's I should I shouldn't even have asked that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and TV, you got family ties to Memphis, so Memphis makes the list too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with, with with the. With the with the form and everything, yeah, it's a, it's a nice setup down there. I, I definitely agree with that. You've been there before now, I got, to, the, to games there. Yeah, I've, I've well, I've, I've I've not been to a Grizzlies. I have been to a University mm-hmm. of Memphis game, but yeah. that same general area, yeah, it it's mm-hmm. a good setup. It's better than when it was at the Pyramid and it was kind of disjointed. But uh, mm-hmm. but Memphis has done a pretty good job getting that area together. So yeah, I can it, I can second that. It's great. Yeah. It's a great arena. It's in a great location. They have a really cool entryway to the to the, the arena, and then once you get inside the arena, and also I really like the stuff that they've done with just their branding and the grit and grind thing is really cool. It kind of ties everything together. So I, I really like. I respect Memphis a lot for a lot of the stuff that they've done, and that arena is is, is really gorgeous. It, it is. <clears throat> I'm gonna ask. I'm going to ask you a question that, you know, Terry is the Lakers fan. I'm a Rockets fan. Outside of UK, we don't agree on anything as far as <laughs> who our teams are, Jim. But this question should probably come from a Lakers fan, but I'm going to ask it. Jim, when you're in L.A. in Staples, you know, the two-night deal, the two games there, Lakers and Clippers, mm-hmm. is Staples, how different is Staples when the Pelicans are playing the Lakers as far as the lighting and all that as opposed to when they're playing the Clippers. I've heard that, you know, it's totally different how each team does their thing. Is it that yeah. big of a difference in a drop-off and all that? I think it is a pretty big difference if you're talking about the lighting and the atmosphere and stuff like that. I think one of the interesting comparisons that I make from going there the last – this is my fourth year of doing every game is home and away is that um, – the thing that is impressive about the Lakers building or the games there when the Lakers are playing is that, you know, people sometimes 
no offense to the Lakers fan in the studio there. People, people sometimes consider the Lakers fans to be um, a little bit fair weather and a little bit – I mean, they've been so good for so long that people sometimes downgrade them because they feel like, you know, they've never gone through any suffering or any bad years. But the thing that I've noticed a ton the last – you know, this is my fourth year now is – their games are packed. Even though they've they've had three years in a row where they've had a poor record, their games are – there's, like, hardly any empty seats I ever see in the lower level, and I think it's also mostly true in the upper bowl. We haven't played there this season yet. Um, we still have two more games against at the Lakers in March and April. and then, So this will be the first time that we've gone there, like, since Kobe retired. But I'm pretty sure that they still draw really well, and I, I think that's great that, you know, people – it's so much of an event there when the Lakers play. It's, it feels that way a little bit with the Clippers as well, but it just seems like it's more of a, even with the struggles that they've had the last three years, people in Los Angeles team, seem to still view it as like the place to be and, you know, something that is important to, to, to go to. So that is pretty cool. If you can, if you can have, you know, one of the worst records in the league and still get people to come in droves and not, See, see much of a decrease in the interest in the team. That that's pretty impressive to me. Well, there you go, TB. TB TB always, you know, takes his shots at the Clippers, even though they're kind of a better team in the city right now. Because he he pulls the history card out, and you know, there you go. Jim's <laughs> confirming it for you, Terry. <laughs> well, no. I, I mean, my thing is is this: when you look at uh, as Jim was saying about the Knicks. In, in Madison Square Garden, it's the same way that you would probably see in Boston and L.A. You know, no matter how bad the Knicks get, people aren't giving up their tickets to the Garden. You know, even right. the Lakers having a rough patch, people aren't giving up their tickets to Staples. It's just one of the, you know, there's just a couple of venues in, in the league. I just think people, you're just not going to give up your seats because they're going through a rough time. You're still going to get your celebs and your known people. It, that's just the Lakers are ingrained in L.A. like the, the Knicks in New York. For right or wrong, uh, I, I think that's kind of what you would see. Sure, and you know what? I'll take it a step further as well. Just coincidentally, um, the Pelicans played Washington at Washington on February 4th. Two days before that, the Lakers were playing at Washington, and I went to the game. One of my friends is a big Wizards fan, and there were it was fifty fifty Lakers fans versus Wizards fans in Washington for a Lakers wow. team that's you know like twenty games under five hundred, and it was so funny because my buddy who I've known since I was I went to college with him, um, was getting upset and it wasn't like he was he's seen it before it wasn't a surprise to him that there were a ton of Lakers fans there, but if you think about the season that the Wizards are having this year where they've been great and had the best probably the best run lately they've had in years, and they ended up winning that game and I think it was. It was Beal or Wall. I think it was Beal. They were interviewing him on the court after the game on TV, which was also broadcast to the to the um, whole body, the whole crowd, including us, so we could hear everything he was saying. He said something like, "Yeah, I'm I'm happy to know that all these people here, all these Washington people who showed up in Lakers jerseys, that the next game we play, they they'll be back in Wizards jerseys again." So it was funny. Like even the players, even the players for the Wizards were kind of like pretty upset because <laughs> I mean they're in the in the hunt for like the two seed maybe in the east and they're playing a, yeah. a, a no offense a very a pretty bad Lakers team and they still didn't have like the upper hand in terms of crowd support in their own arena so anyway oh, yeah. I thought that was a pretty 
pretty funny thing to see. <laughs> I, I would have been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's Lakers fans everywhere, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I, I usually go the, the, the one trip they make to uh, Indianapolis. Uh, I drive up Indianapolis about two hours away from where I am. So mm-hmm. uh, the three three or four years I've been able to make that game where they came to uh, Indianapolis. I didn't go this year, and last year I was getting ready to buy my ticket. I said, let me just wait, you know, till payday or whatever. You know how – I'm like, you know, the Lakers are bad. You know, Indy – I'll always find a ticket. And mm-hmm. like three days later, Kobe said, this is my last season. And then I go and look, and, you know, the price has jumped a thousand percent. So I was like, well, <laughs> I could I, I could spend a thousand dollars or I could eat for the next month or so. <laughs> you know? so let, me, let me go with that one. You know, I'll watch you on TV. Uh, but go in, and there's always a good amount of Lakers fans there as well. So I yep. certainly agree yep. with you there. Yeah, we see it here as well, you know, so – I think it's everywhere. Jim, before that you go, I'm just going to read the tweet that you quoted for our show. You said the level of interest in the Pelicans is staggering right now. Numerous national media are down there. You said you will also be on WWL Radio plus NBA TV later this evening. So thank you so much for squeezing the Island Show into the busy evening that you will have talking Pelicans and DeMarcus Cousins. No problem, guys. I'm, I'm glad to come on anytime. Really enjoy talking to you guys. All right. We certainly appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank and you. We'll be keeping an eye out. Uh, two games, two and a half games after that eighth spot. I think uh, it's going to be between you all and Portland. I think Denver's going to fall back, and it'll be a New Orleans-Portland race uh, for that, that final spot over these next 25 games. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, even without the – even if the playoff race wasn't a factor in this, I think people are tuning in to watch starting tomorrow night. So, but you add that in, and you got a really, really interesting last two months of the season for sure. Absolutely, Jim. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate the time, and uh, you're in the NBA and basketball capital of the world, and we'll be looking for all the good pieces that you got on NBA.com/slash/Pelicans. There. Great guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. We appreciate Take it. Thanks, Jim. That is Jim Eichenhofer. Second time on the show. Brings it every time. And, man, it was, you know, everybody is excited. I'm Big Blue Nation, NBA fans, period. The city of New Orleans with Boogie going to the Big Easy, teaming up with AD. I mean, it's – I mean, we couldn't wait to have him on to talk about it. We were trying to not talk about it until he came on. We're excited. Everybody's excited, TV. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you know, uh, I think this a lot. It's going to be interesting, but it's going to be uh, – I mean, I, I don't think – especially when you look at Golden State and and even, you know, Cleveland, some of the other successful teams, the, the, the post game has really gone away. But if you've got somebody in the post where you can kind of run that high post, where you've got Davis throwing to Cousins from the high post, and you, and you can't really double all that effectively, and it's not about doubling and and you'll get into a three-point shooter, although I think uh, they, they'd like to get those open shots. But 
if if you have to double another big man onto Boogie or Davis, you know, whoever in the post, and they can drop it off, you know, dive, you know, with the other big man diving opposite, you know, diving to the basket. So now you potentially got your small forward trying to contain either one of those guys diving to the basket. I think that creates a lot of uh, pressure for you. When I think of that hollow action, uh, again, I'm going to go tell my age here. Do you remember the 03 Wildcats with Eric Daniels and Chuck Hayes? Those guys, yeah. I, I'm not putting them in the class of, of Boogie and, and uh, AD, but the way they were able to operate that high-low, it was just devastating. So if the, if the uh, Pelicans can do that kind of thing, and as Jim said, both big men, they've, they've got range. We can see that. You know, on the season, Boogie's got more made threes than Buddy Heel. So both of those guys <laughs> have range. Uh, and I think that they make it work. Uh, I think they kind of flashbacks to those Kentucky days and say, you know, we both can give a little to make this work. Uh, and I'll be excited to see that. Absolutely. Um, Jim's Twitter handle was Jim underscore Eichenhofer, E-I-C-H-E-N, H-O-F-E-R. So send a little tweet. Tell him you enjoy hearing him on the show. Uh, we definitely enjoy taking the time uh, to be on the show. And, man, I, I hit him up on, like, like Monday because I knew this was about to – I mean, when it when the news went down, you knew it was about to blow up. And like you said, the interest in the Pelicans is off the chain. It's staggering. They are the story. You know, NBA TV, Sports Center, everybody's talking about them. You know, the state of Kentucky's talking about it. Uh, so I appreciate Jim taking the time uh, to hop on with us. It's always fun talking to him. We talked about a lot of food with him last time because, you know, we just had to talk about some food. Um, but it was cool hearing his thoughts on, you know, his favorite arenas, uh, favorite cities, uh, and, of course, what uh, A.D. and Boogie are going to do on these next 25 games and possibly more if, if Boogie decides he wants to resign uh, after the season's over and make it a long-term thing. They asked him about that, and, of course, of course you get those questions right from that in the press conference. And, you know, he couldn't answer that, but he did say he's all in for, you know, right now, you know, 25 games, he's all in, all about trying to make the playoffs, no matter what his situation was. He's heard about trade talks for the past three or four years. Uh, this time he finally saw that it was really going to happen, and he said, I'm about making the playoffs no matter what. So he was trying to make it in Sacramento because, they're ahead of New Orleans in the standings right now. Uh, Sacramento's in the ninth spot, uh, a game ahead of New Orleans in the 11th spot. So he was trying to make the playoffs whether he stayed in Sacramento or got traded to some other team, or now that he's with New Orleans, he's trying to, to leapfrog his old team as well as the Trailblazers and whoever happens to be in their way. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch. We've had fun talking about it, and uh, we'll take us a quick break because we are already into the second hour of the show. But I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Come back for the finale. We'll talk lots of UK basketball. Got to recap the All-Star game a little bit, and I got to talk a little music with TV as well. I don't know if it's Soapbox, but there's eh, a little bit of a gripe with the halftime entertainment at the All-Star game. 
But we'll cover all of that. We'll be right back to talk about UK, Missouri, UK, Georgia. Look ahead to UK, Florida in just a couple minutes. This is Cat Talk Wednesday. Vinnie Hart, Terry Brown, Friday Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Someone to break my heart I need real love I was gone from the very start I'm so serious Baby got me so delirious We can have a rough experience Cause everything you feel I'm feeling it change You up we touch And you gonna keep me up until We laugh we talk But we never confirm if this is real Whatever you like to do, uh, it is all available for you. 
UK Georgia Saturday TV. You came Missouri last night. What is jumping out to you from those for those games? Kentucky had to kind of ground out two wins on the road. They were able to do so. What are your takeaways from the last two games you just saw? Uh, you know, road games uh, at Georgia uh, and at Missouri. Uh, I, I've all I've, I've said. I think at the beginning of the year or during the slide that the team had, um, look, number one, road games are tough. And I understand Georgia uh, was undermanned, and I know Missouri was undermanned as well. The games were a little bit tighter than we like to see. Um, my thing is, at this point, February the, the, the 22nd, February 22nd, I think I said this last week, week before. The team kind of is what what it is. There's going to be some tweaks. This is just one of those teams. They're not going to blow people out. It, it's just it's it's not for whatever reason. This team just doesn't have have that. I know at the beginning of the year they did, but at this point it's not going to happen. They're not going to beat people by twenty or right now. I am encouraged. Because they have had grinded out games, uh, I, I just I think that that's a skill that they're going to need as we look toward March, which is right here, and, and, and look toward the postseason. Uh, last night they focused on Bam, and, and for the first time, really, he was the centerpiece. He he was getting the ball, scoring, or getting fouled, and that's what he needs to needs to be. Uh, you know, I, I, I've started to stay away from social media, particularly Twitter, during the games. Uh, you and I have talked about it, and, and there's this bias that people have of, you know, teams of old would do X, Y, and Z. Well, you know, this team, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I just I can't get worked up because they're not beating everybody by 20 points. And, you know, people say, well, don't you think they need to be beating this Team X by more? Well, yeah, you know, in a perfect world, but, but they're winning. And, and, it, and it's hard to, to get excited. Uh, Justin Rowland, who I, I think we've had on the show, you know, his thing is he doesn't think this is a top 25 team. That's garbage. That's garbage. In a year where no team has looked dominant, I know Gonzaga's undefeated, but I don't think – there's that same interest as when Kentucky was undefeated a couple of years ago, you know, at this stage of the season. So without a team really looking dominant, this is one of those years everybody's got warts, you know, but everybody's got some a highlight reel too. When you look at Kentucky's losses, uh, you know, at home against UCLA, at home against Kansas, those are really, really good teams, you know, at Louisville, uh, you know, tennis, the Tennessee game, it was a two-point game. Uh, I, I can't get too, too upset about it. But with Florida being the only game that really was a head-scratcher, and as you mentioned, they've got the opportunity to rectify that, the, the resume's not that bad. Uh, I've always said uh, with these Cal teams, okay, they may not look good, but is, who are you scared to play in the tournament? And I'm really not scared to play anybody. That includes Gonzaga all the way down. 
yes, this is a top 25 team. No, this team is not going to NIT. Uh, you know, I correct people all the time. Well, this is another first round or early exit from the start. Another one? There's only been one. There's only been one time that Cal didn't make it to the Elite Eight. Only one time. Last year. So what are you, what are you saying? I mean, we have gotten so skewed that, I mean, this team, it is what it is. I, I think the ingredients on paper, you look at all these guys, and I think individually, Fox, Monk, Bam, uh, even Winion, uh, Gabriel, individually, you say, oh, these guys are great. But sometimes, for whatever reason, the team just doesn't come together. I, I don't know what to tell people, but I, I'm, I'm still encouraged. They're 23-5. and five. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the end. They have a chance to go out, make a statement game, uh, have that statement game against Florida on Saturday. You win that back in the driver's seat for the 50-11th SEC title. Go from there. I, I, you know, I, I'm just not too bent out of shape about it because I have seen Cal teams turn it on more than I have not. You know, that's, that's the thing. Well, how do you know this team is the same as the other ones? I, I don't know that they are, but when people say 2011 and, and, and 2014, uh, those teams were able to turn it on. Hello, even 2012 and 2015 got better heading into the tournament. So I, I'm going to take my chances with that. Yeah, yeah, and kind of – you know, you got to, as with any young team, you got ups and downs collectively from a team standpoint. Like you say, we we saw blowouts earlier in the year, Texas A&M in conference, Arizona State in the non-conference. Um, but the ups and downs also take place from player to player. You know, we saw – you know, Malik Monk's been pretty consistent scoring all throughout. Fox up and down, you know, especially when he was injured. He was sick for a while. Um, and then we saw Bam. There were times where, you know, he, he wasn't getting the ball. Then there were times where he's got foul trouble. Um, so there were, you know, and I said a long time ago, I said, Bam is coming. Bam is coming. And thought it would have been maybe a little more from him, maybe not like maybe 23 or 15 every game, but maybe a little more dominance from him. But there's still time for that to happen. Um, I tweeted out last week, I think it was against was it Georgia or Tennessee, they threw it to him down low. He turned and faced and was fixing to make a move. Now, I might be wrong. I might have missed that. He might have tried that in games before, and I hadn't seen it. But I was like, oh, I haven't I haven't seen him try to turn his face and do a little reverse pivot and a little jab step. You know, normally, you know, the jump hook or, uh, you know, turn around and just dunk on somebody. Uh, he can hit the jumper. He shot a few jumpers, hit a few jumpers, hit one on the baseline. Uh, we see him all the time warming up before games. He's hitting free throws. His shot looks good. I still think Bam is coming. Last night, Bam probably, you know, Bam won the game. He was consistent 
consistently doing work down low, hitting free throws. He fouled out one guy. The other guy, I think Russell or whatever, had four fouls, and he ended up fouling out because he got switched up on Darren Fox, and, you know, he got fouled out trying to check him. So we've seen the ups and downs collectively as a team. Now there's ups and downs from player to player. So now we got to get each guy kind of up to their maximum potential where they can be come March, and then, of course, that'll mean your team is peaking at the right time. That was a lot of rambling. None of it may have made no. any sense, but uh, <laughs> that's kind of where we are right now. No. There's still time, yeah. and you want to maybe see uh, Briscoe is, is in a little bit of a slump. He's, he's missing shots. Uh, he turned the ball over. Um, stuff he's either got to play through or if Cal makes a change in the rotation. There's a lot of bitch Briscoe talk right now. It's, it's, you got to get everybody, as Cal will say, playing as the best version of themselves, and that's, that's where they are as a staff right now. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, too. Look, Cal has been here. This is his eighth season. We all know, Kentucky fans know, Cal is going to talk. I saw some people, you know, Cal said after the game, you know, we still got to figure this out, X, Y, and Z. And people say, why is Cal talking? Well, number one, all coaches talk crazy talk. It's called coach speak. Everybody does it from Rick Pitino making you think the school of the blind is, you know, the 1986 uh, Celtics reincarnated. They all do it. And it's all annoying. It's, you know, it's all hyperbole. They all do it. But Cal does it. I know he's sending messages to his players. I get that. But a lot of times he's saying these things. So we are talking about him instead of the players. You know, when when you look back on that 2014 team and Cal said, hey, I'm, I'm not doing this right. The tweak wasn't so much what the players are doing. It's I've got to get this right. Even last year, coming out and saying, hey, I'm using Scal wrong. He's going to say those things to take the, the heat off his players, and I think that's why they love him, you know, from his UMass days to now. But I'm still going to bet that they are going to get this right. Uh, you know, people are tired of Cal, you know, referencing his past success. Well, that's what you do. Where he can say, look, the 2011 team, we were horrible on the road. We were like 2-6 and six in the conference on the road. But we figured yeah. it out. 2014, you know, we lost like three out of four or four or five, whatever it was, heading into the postseason. That team was dead in the water, and we can romanticize. Well, Cal, you know the guys were talented. They've all they were always talented. That season, I mean, think about that. I mean, that season could have been completely lost. It could have been a first round loss to Kansas State, and that was bad. Whatever <laughs> magic he did or didn't do to get them back on track is amazing. We can talk about how lucky Aaron Harrison's shots were, but you don't win one possession games in March if your coach can't coach. I, I, I'm going to go to my grave believing that. He can coach. He knows what he's doing. I say that about people that say Cal can't coach. You know, for whatever reason, people like to bring up Tubby and his run. Look, go back and watch the 1998 tournament. You don't win the last three games of the year by a total of like 
six or seven points or whatever it was and not be able to coach. That's dumb. When you say things like that, you are dumb. Of course Cal can coach. You can, like, you can call the Aaron Harrison shot luck or whatever. To get to that point for that shot took coaching. I don't want to hear anything else about it. Shut up. You're being dumb when you say things like that. Cal is going to get it because he has more than not. And as much as we hate to say it last year, last year's team, that, that was as good as it was going to get. I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. We needed Euless and Murray to be great, both of them great every game to win. And when one wasn't great, when one was very good, it was tough to win. And that's what happened against Indiana. So that team, I think he got the best out of, as flawed as it was. So I just can't get too stressed out because we don't know how this story is going to end. You know, if we had written this, uh, you know, love Larry Vaught. I saw him pose a thing. You know, his question today was, what do you think about this Kentucky team? Well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> in 2014, in February, I would have told you, this team is terrible. They're going back to the NIT. And it, this, is good. this is terrible. But instead, we've got great shots and a run to the title game. You know, we can look back in, in February – in 2014, you said you would have thought back to the NIT. That's what you said? Yeah. Yeah, 2014. In February you know, with the Nerlens, yeah. yeah, in February 2014, make your bed, uh, Cal, you, you, this is your bed. You, gotta, you made it. Not lying. Yeah. If, if, you, if you come to me in February, I'm like, this team is done. The same way who in February of 2011 said that that would be the team to get the Cats back to the Final Four. You don't know. You just you just don't. We like to think that we do, but we don't. And people say, well, Cal's hiding behind that. Because he, he can point to his record. He can point to you and say, this is what I have done before. I believe I can do it again with these guys. Most fan base say, well, okay, yeah. But for whatever reason, people are hate-watching this team. This team's not fun to watch. And why are you watching sports at all? Jim touched on it earlier. You know, uh, people you know are surprised that Laker fans are that loyal. Look, man, if you are a fan, you got to be here for all of it. You know, you can't just be no. here for the the twenty ten team that was a fun, just a whirlwind ride of person. You can't be here for twenty twelve. You can't be here for twenty fifteen. You can't be here for that. Because most of the time, you're going to have teams like we have right now, like we had last year, like we had in 2014, like we had in 2011, that they're going to have to grind it out. We have been fortunate enough to have, what, three kind of once-in-a-lifetime teams since Cal's been here? That's not how it works. No, Nobody is great every single year. Nobody is. Even Kentucky, bringing in the ta- – sometimes you have a team that is going to have to scratch and claw and grind it out. I don't care what their rankings are. You're gonna, that's how most teams get by. This is the way teams are supposed to look. You can't get spoiled and make your bare minimum 
you know, we got to win every game by 15 points. No, that's dumb. That's dumb. I, I now, don't care if you're playing at Missouri. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say, where's the line? Because, like, you see stuff on Twitter. Where's the line of, of fans being negative and just calling it like they see it? Because you see fans get mad at each other about, oh, you're being negative. Or if they're not playing well, can you not say that without somebody getting mad? Where's the line at? When I talk about these things, number one, I'm not really going to call a college kid out. A lot of right. people are doing with Briscoe. Look, when Briscoe's shot's not falling, when you look at, like, the, the Tennessee game, he's still getting you eight or nine rebounds. It, and, and, and Cal can't take him off the floor. Because even though his shot's not falling, he's still going to do other things to help you win. I draw the line and say, and you can say, I think it's well in the thing, what is Cal thinking with this play, with this defense? I think that's fine. But when you say, well, Cal can't coach, you're dumb, stop talking. That's too far. You know, he's the same coach he's always been. And as I explained heatedly earlier, he can't coach. You, you don't win the games he's won in the tournament and not being able to coach. That's, that's dumb. I, I get infuriated when you hear people talk about, you know, these kids, they don't want it, uh, spoiled or whatever it is. Look, if you have played basketball or any team sport, but specifically basketball, you, you just can't say, all right, take the best point guard, best shooting guard. best. It takes time for those teams to come together. And it is tough to do to play at a high level in a condensed amount of time at Kentucky. It just is. It's not an excuse. That's, that's a fact. You just can't put teams together. Remember, the dream team lost to some college kids before they, got re- they were getting ready for the uh, Olympics. Okay? So you just can't throw talent out there and expect it to just – you know, to, to just do it. These team, these guys have to figure it out. Well, it's February. Well, yeah, but still, you know, here we are 28 games in, and this is an ongoing process. And that's what Cal is saying. That's what I'm saying is even at February 22nd, this team is not what it's going to be. And, you know, I, I try not to police fans and all this kind of stuff, but you got some folks that are always negative always finding fault. My thing is, how do you get along in the rest of your existence if you're making the absolute best, the bare minimum? Like, how do you, how do you get by? Do you go to McDonald's and do you throw a hissy fit if your Big Mac doesn't look like the one in the picture? You know, it, you know I mean, how do, you, how do you get by if your significant <laughs> other – Forgets to get bread from the grocery. Oh, you're the worst spouse ever. I mean, do you, is that what people do? When, when, when you know, if your, your kid comes in and they track mud, you're the worst child ever. You know, look at this. Your brother doesn't track mud through the house. This is terrible. You're a terrible child. I, I can't even bear watching you. It's like, what, what do you do? My thing is, why do you watch sports? Why do, you, why do we do this? Are, are you watching it 
just to say my team is the best? Are you watching it just to just to hate, hate in your heart, or do you? I, I know it's a half glass, half glass full. Are you saying, hey, Bam got it going last night? We can build on that, okay? Because at and his, this is the thing that we need to keep in mind. At every, any point of this season, we have seen a lot of different guys on this team step up and deliver. We know Malik Monk with his 47 and, and you know, and his 36 and this, that. We've seen De'Aaron Fox with his triple-double. Uh, we've seen uh, Isaiah Briscoe with his triple-double. We have seen Winyan Gabriel go berserk. We have seen uh, uh, Derek Willis go off. My thing is, we have seen what these guys can do. The, the trick is, the key is getting them to, to, to do it at the same time, and I think we can still see that. The, the, the season's not over. And that's my frustration with some fans, like, well, you know, we're not going to be dominant, so we may as well not even watch. Really? Yeah. And I'm not really? – and see, that's – I mean, I'm not, I'm not like that, and I'm, and I'm not like saying bash Briscoe and just running down. And I mean, you know, but I think you can maybe say maybe he's not playing well without bashing him. And Tony Dell up there saying that maybe Michael Motors should start. I didn't think he was bashing Briscoe. I mean, I think no, you can do no, it, both. I, my, you know, I think you can say a kid maybe not playing well when you clearly see he's not. You don't have to be a coach to see that he's not maybe playing up to his potential without, like, bashing a kid and just, you know, tweeting at him and just saying all this dumb stuff. I think there's a fine line for, for all of it, and I, I don't know if everybody sees that or even thinks that it's possible, but I think it is. Yeah, and I, and I get that. Look, look, here's – kind of the thing when you say I'm part of the Big Blue Nation I'm a Kentucky fan look I would be overjoyed if Kentucky won every game by 20 points I would be overjoyed if Brad Calipari got to come in and hit a three you know to give us that 20-30 point win I want that I get that what just gets me is sometimes people get in the they get in this negative kind of spiral be more of a devastated fan than than the next person. Look, when Kentucky loses, nobody's happy about it. I'm not, right. you know, right. I'm not thrilled when they lose. Or yeah. you know, you, you see some of the guys, uh, you know, make mistakes that they've been making all year. That doesn't make me happy. Uh, right. But there's no need to say, hey, Briscoe's having a, a tough night, and this one's got. Well, he doesn't need to play at all, and this one's. This season is on Briscoe, and he's ruined this. And they go back and forth in this Twitter spiral of, you know, I wish Briscoe never came here. I mean, it it gets – but it gets that kind of escalated. You know, when you can just say, yeah, he's having a rough couple of games. I mean, you can say, yeah, he's missing layups and he doesn't know nearly – his his jumper is – every time he pulls up for a jumper, it's an adventure for everybody. You can say that. Okay, right. I'm right. okay with that. Yeah, but, and but he, when he gets it on the wing, he walks a lot. He he takes that little – he goes to fake left and go right, and he travels and shuffles his feet a lot. And, you know, so I'm, we can, like, call it like we see it without 
just going crazy with it. And and that's the, that's kind of what you're saying. People just not letting go and just like you say, Twitter spiral. You can say that without spiral. Yeah, and, and, and social media is bad. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you, Vinny. Because um, I tweeted out last night, or maybe it was maybe it was Saturday. Maybe it was Saturday against George. De'Aaron Fox got off to one of the, you know, from a point guard standpoint, a pretty awful start. But he had you know, two or three turnovers right out of the gate. Then he, you know, gets his second foul like 10 minutes left in the first half. So he never got into any kind of flow at all. And then you see him, like, just kind of play through it. And then the end of the game, he's repeatedly just going to the bucket, getting fouled, and knocking down free throws. He took over the game. Nobody could stay in front of him. Nobody could check him. Kind of like Wayne Turner did, Wonder how to back in 98. But I'm taking you off the dribble. There's nothing you can do about it. And he still was able to impact the game in a positive way. I think, you know, from a mental toughness standpoint, he took a step with that, you know. I'm going to fight through this bad first 30 minutes of this game that I've had and still do what I need to do to help my team win. Last night, you know, just when we saw him getting over all of the ankle stuff, getting over all the sickness, Every time he looked up last night, something was wrong with his lower body. He drove baseline and got kicked in the back of the calf. I mean, that stuff hurts. He was limping. He got kicked in the calf, shook that off, and came back in again. William Gabriel falls on him and, like, crumples him like an accordion, and he gets a knee contusion. And I'm like, man, just this dude is not going to have his wheels under him, his legs under him. He can't win for losing. Fights that off and is back out there again. So, mental toughness Saturday against Georgia, physical toughness last night because the dude is, I mean, he's slight of frame. He's thinly built, into, and he's, he depends on his speed. That's a huge part of his game. And to, to overcome that, the two games in a row, I think, says a lot about, you know, the direction he's heading. And, and like I said before, look, look at the games that they lost to, to Kansas to UCLA, to U of L. Those are grind them out games. And we have seen time and time again, you get to the NCAA tournament, you're going to have to grind it out. You're, you're, you're going to have to, there are going to be games where your shot's not falling collectively as a team. There's going to be games like you're talking about with Fox, you're going to get banged up. Okay? You're, you're going to be playing high stakes games you may not be 100% physically you're going to be beaten down mentally these guys and I know the competition we can talk about that but real game life situations against Georgia the first time they should have lost that game they started off that game terribly and still came back and won and games like last night I don't think we have seen the team collectively play well in a while. But they've been able to gut out games at Alabama, at Georgia, even at Missouri. Again, put your asterisks on it. Those teams probably aren't making the tournament. But 
Kyle can say, heading into Nashville, heading into wherever they go in the tournament, look, things you're not hitting your shots. You know, Malik is not going to carry us tonight or what have you. Yeah. We can mm-hmm. still do this. And he can say, right now, we've had a lot of close games against subpar teams. We've had close games against very, very good teams. We can finish this. We know what we need to do. And it comes down to having a point guard, just like you were saying about Wayne Turner. If you've got a point guard in March that can say, no one's going to keep me out of the lane and have the ability to do it, that is a huge weapon. We have seen it, again, Marcus Teague when he figured it out. Brandon Knight when he figured it out. Aaron Harrison, that was the tweak in 2014. We have seen it. We've seen it with Wayne Turner, 98. We've seen it against us with Kimba Walker and Shabazz Napier at UConn. We have seen it. A point guard that can get into the paint and break a defense down, that it's worth his weight in gold. We've got that this year. We had it last year with Tyler Eulis, only this year Fox has got weapons. Again, yeah. I've said it before, we have seen Winyan Gabriel and Derek Willis at the four both get hot. You give them those corner threes, I'm confident heading into March. Bam is more active. That's a good sign come March. And, and, and again, I have said, I'll say it again, I still think we're going to see Malik Monk put on another show. I, I have a feeling he's got, he's got a game or two he's going to show out in the postseason. I still feel good about this team. And, and we can talk about their flaws. Hey, nobody's heading to the big dance as pretty as they want to be. We're all going to have pimples. We're all going to have, you know, that hair that won't lay right. You know, as I, this, this is that year. This is that year. I don't think it's wide open, but when you start listing out the five or six teams that can win six great straight games in March, Kentucky's on that list. I, I, I still feel that way. But if you've got Fox that has, that has figured it out through the bumps and the bruises and the sickness and the fatigue and all that, if he's got it figured out heading into March, whoa, buddy. I, whoa, that's a good sign to me. And now we've got Bam engaged, like you're saying. Now he's facing up. Now he's able to get the ball quickly out of the double teams. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I like that. Maybe this team, they were some slow learners. Maybe it's coming together a little bit slower. But I still think our ceiling is higher than just about anybody else in the country. That's my yeah. – that's the way I'm looking at it. You know, and they may they may just get to the Sweet 16. I don't know. I I feel this team can go to, at least to that second weekend, and then who knows what happens. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you just got to give the other team credit. Like you mentioned, you know, some of these point guards Kentucky's run up on in the past, you know, uh, Kimball Walker, Shabazz Napier. Uh, we, you know, Kentucky won both games against Georgia, but and you and I love to talk point guard. You got to put JJ Frazier in that category. That's a bad little thing, <laughs> you know. 
37 or whatever Saturday after Maiden went out in Athens. He had 20-something in Rupp Arena. Um, the pick and roll, he was just having his way. You know, they he would come off the screen. He was changing speed. I mean, he's quick anyway, but there were times when he would come super ultra blazing quick. There were times where he would kind of slow it down a little bit. There were times where he split the little double team and went through the middle. There was a time when Bam showed he came to kind of hedge, and he just put this fifth gear, blew right on by him, and got the the layup of the potential chance for M1. The 30-footer he hit at the end of the half with Monk right all over him that cut the lead to two. I mean, this is a bad little dude. You know, he got a little Travis Best in him from back in the day. Uh, he's left-handed like your boy, Kenny Anderson, who we kind of maybe need to try to get out here one of these Wednesday evenings if he's willing to do it. Um, yeah. Lamar, Lamar, Lamar Peters at Mississippi State. Little freshman, he's like a little another. He's like a freshman version of JJ Frazier. He had a good game against the Cats. Thankfully, Frazier is a senior. We may see him again in the SEC tournament. After that, want to worry about him anymore? We all remember Devin Downey back in the day. Uh, the kid from Missouri last night, Terrence Phillips. I think he had a career high. <laughs> he had 22 last night. It wasn't so much in the pick and roll as him just popping threes on it, but. You know, some of these little guards are good. I mean, we are happy with Fox. We have a good legacy of four guards under Cal. And prior to that, you know, Wayne Turner, Anthony Epps, um, you know, Cal Macy going to keep on going. But some of these other guys we run up against are good as well. You said you got to tip your hat to what J.J. Frazier did and some of these other guys can take his place. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's okay, Kentucky fans, to say other teams of other te- players on other teams are good. You know, good <laughs> right. what they say on P- you know, what they you know, go back you know, what Tony and, 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 and Mike say on PTI, there are coaches on the other side. Right? Yeah. You know, they scout, they they you know, there's there's whole coaching staffs that that, pull, that 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 look and game plan and look at film and, and and figure out how to attack Kentucky on both ends of the court. And, and those teams, uh, again, look, I, I know they're not the best of the best, but they're still quality players, quality coaches that, that figure out how to put their team in a, in a chance to win. What I like is we have been competitive with the up-and-down UCLA, with the, the free-flowing Kansas game, and here we are grinding it out to teams that are kind of slowing it down a little bit. Because that second round game, or even that first round game, depending on the seeding, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see te- nobody's going to get the up and down like you, uh, like UNC. Nobody's going to do that. We're not, I, I don't think we'll see that. Teams are going to pack it in. Teams are going to play these sagging kind of zone defenses. That's what we're going to see. I like that we're seeing that a lot. And not so much that we're struggling, but we're, we're figuring it out. Fox is saying, I can still get to the rim, even against these zones and this kind of sagging man-to-man defenses that we're seeing. That's a good thing, I think. So I'm still encouraged by what I'm seeing. Uh, but I, I just I don't want to get in one of those negative spirals. It, it's okay to say, hey, the team is struggling. 
And they, they, they were, but right now we're, we're winning. You win on the road in the SEC, you take it, and you come back home. That's pretty much how it, 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 it goes. Saturday, I, I don't want to say must win, but this is the chance for the Cats to really show some pride against the team that really, really embarrassed you on national TV. This, this is a game where they've got to come out. They can't come out flat. Uh, I, I, I think I agree with Tony Delt. If you put Molder into the starting lineup and bring Briscoe off the bench with a little bit more focus, and every coach that's ever coached anything will tell you, the bench is a heck of a motivator. And, uh-huh. and if Cal, and I don't know if he will or he won't, but putting Briscoe on the bench, sending a message, you got to come focus. Because the last couple of games, the one thing I will kind of say is the Cats have looked flat when they've come out. There's no reason to come out and be, you know, uh, you know, 8-7 against Mizzou and, 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 and to be kind of back and forth. with George. Come out, make a statement. Come out. Yeah. And, and to quote Mystical, show me what you're working with. <laughs> get me some Bam over the top. Get me some Fox. Get me some Fox and Monk back, forcing the tempo. You know, if you we've talked about it before. Can you get that six point lead to ten, to twelve, to fourteen? You get you get that lead to fourteen. Teams are going to have to pick up their tempo against you. And now you're now they have to play your game. You can dictate tempo, which is another reason. Just a little aside which I don't buy into Virginia. What we see for Virginia, you get them down by six points, they're done. Six to eight points, you're beating Virginia because they, they, they're not coming back on you because they don't score. They, they're never in a hurry to score points. And what will happen is first round, second round, they'll play somebody, some, some smaller school that will get them down eight to ten points, and Virginia's not going to score. They're, they're not going to come back. So that's Another thing. So I am yeah. encouraged heading into uh, heading into the tournament. I know we're not beating teams by twenty points lately. I get that, but let, let's be a little bit honest about what we've seen with some of these uh, other games that we played top teams. I know the wins losses not what we want them to be, but I think uh, we were competitive. Against Kansas, I could be wrong. Competitive against UCLA, I could be wrong. I was at the Louisville game, and that one felt fairly competitive until uh, Monks three hit the front iron. I thought it was a pretty competitive game. So I, I, I'm not as concerned as, as, as some of our other fellow fans are. <laughs> yeah. Anything that goes beyond 8 o'clock, will be on the aforementioned podcast, blogtalkradio.com slash cat talk, because we got to close out the show. We can't close it out without talking about, and which we really might not have to spend a lot of time on the actual all-star game, because, I mean, you and I both want to see a little bit more defense, because they didn't. I mean, not not even in the fourth quarter like it used to be. They just, they olayed all evening long, um, I found myself hoping it would be close in the fourth. I was pulling for the West, but I didn't want the West to pull away because I was like, West is close, and they'll start D up. 
but they ended up pulling away, and, you know, it was already kind of decided before we had a chance for a possible crunch time. So it was kind of a replay of last year. Still my favorite all-star game of them all, baseball the distance second. We both know that, you know, I boycott the Pro Bowl, haven't watched one in like 25 years. So that weekend is still, I still look forward to it. Uh, maybe they will tighten it up. Maybe, the, you know, the, the players will kind of try to to be it up a little bit. I still want to have fun and not have to worry about being super serious, but, but be it up a little bit, contest a little bit here and there. Um, well, what rubbed me wrong was, not really wrong, but they're not even crossing half court. You know, yeah. it's just that that that's kind of okay. This this is to, at least all ten guys need to come into the front court. Uh, but that being said, you know, I can't remember who it was I retweeted that said, "Okay, for everybody that says the NBA doesn't play any defense, this is what that would look like." <laughs> you know, if 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 the NBA didn't play any defense all the time. We would have two, you know, 190, 190 every game out if what you say about the NBA is true. The thing I like about the these guys are ridiculously talented and gifted. Let's just they are. Uh, I, I think we need to see a little bit of reinvention on some of the events, the dunk contest. I think it's lost its luster. Uh, we've had some great moments here recently, but it's it's. I mean, Michael Jordan kind of made his name on the dunk contest and, and still competed. Uh, and, and, and your man, Dominique Wilkins, we, we haven't seen that because we haven't seen, you know, the LeBrons get into it. Uh, and then you see him the next day in the All-Star game and some of these run-out dunks he's on, you're like, okay, well, why aren't you doing that <laughs> Saturday night? So there's, I think there needs to be some revamping that. But it's, it's, a, great, it's a great event. I still say, as far as all star games go, it's it's the best. Uh, you know that may be like you know being the tallest midget, but I I still think it's the best. I'm glad that uh, Anthony Davis got his MVP uh, there in New Orleans, and and Jamal Murray on on Saturday night uh, showed out. Um, yeah, you know he, he was out there with Trey Lyles. Uh, and, and Kat was out there, and Devin Booker. Uh, it, it, yeah. I'm telling you, like I said earlier, next three to four years, we are going to see some. We're going to see some guys really make that leap. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. That was cool. Jamal Murray out there, you know, drawing the bow and arrow. So that was that was fun. Um, oh, and and you know, I I was complete homework. But I picked my guy, former Pelican, current Rocket, Eric Gordon, to win the three-point contest because he knew that arena better than anyone, having played there when he was healthy uh, for his years in New Orleans. So he's not loved anymore because he's moved on and, like Jim said, said some things on the way out. But, uh, you know, I, I... I was just pretty confident that he was going to win. He's been in a nice little groove all year long. First time in the contest. Got that first round out of the way. Had to go to overtime, but it didn't matter. He was able to win. So from a Rocket standpoint, I was, I was, you know, pulling for Eric Gordon. And good to see him win, uh, in addition to being proud of all the U.K. guys showing out. My thing 
the 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 music, you know, music, R and B, hip hop, and NBA have been merged together for years. You can't have one without the other. Hard to like one and not the other, vice versa. You know, some people, you know, tweeting and complaining about the intro taking too long. I was loved it because you know, they did the history of basketball. So that's what this whole weekend is about. We've been watching this All Star game since we were kids. Then you throw in the roots doing the intro, Quest Level on the drums, Tariq on the mic. The roots can do no wrong. So you got the roots doing the intro. They could have took three days to do it. I'd have been fine. I'd have just, you know, start the game, whatever y'all finish, y'all take as long as y'all want. So I was cool with all of that. My, I don't know, gripe, complaint, difference of opinion was with halftime. John Legend is, he's all right. I don't just love him, love him. And he's had a great career, been around a long time. I think my favorite song is probably still Ordinary People. That's the song that, in my opinion, like put him on the map. Some of his other songs I don't really care for as much. You know what I mean? But he's a great performer, good career. Him and Christian Keegan started a family. That's great. But I just didn't think he was the right choice for halftime because you needed something a little more up-tempo. Like, just let's, let's pump the crowd up a little bit. And I just thought he was a little too mellow for the halftime of the NBA All-Star game. Yeah, and remember, you know, the All-Star game, uh, when you talk about R&B and and, and hip-hop music, my favorite rendition of the the Star-Spangled Banner is Marvin Gaye at the 83 All-Star game in L.A. (laughs) Yeah. Where where folks, you, you need to YouTube that. He, he turned it into, I mean, it was a soulful ballad that hit people mm-hmm. clapping and swaying by yeah. the end. Now, the mm-hmm. side effect was a lot of people thought they could do their own version and they were terrible. But but that's what kind of what the all-star game is. is you, you get that vibe. Uh, the intros are what they are. I, I mean, for mine, the intros, I think, of the NBA All-Star Game and the MLB All-Star Game, that that's part of it. That That's part of the pomp and circumstance yeah. Is, yeah. Is, is, is you get that. It hasn't always been this kind of grandiose, but as the world has evolved. And, uh, but the, NBA, the All-Star Game has always had some, some little pomp. It's the All-Star Game. It's the NBA game. The players are more accessible because they're just wearing tank tops and shorts. Uh, essentially, you get to see them. You get to uh, and there's more of a. I mean, you don't really know them, know them, but you kind of get a better feel for them uh, when they're playing. So I've got no problem with that. I would have liked to see a, a little bit more upbeat halftime show. I'm, I'm kind of a John Legend fan. My dad, God rest his soul. Uh, you 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 reference the song "Ordinary People." He called it the paper plate song uh, because he said it is about it sounds like John Legend saying we've got uh, paper plates or something. So there's a little funny side note <laughs> to that. But uh, I, I you know the the All Star Game it is what it is. Uh, I, I just would like to see a little bit more. Hey, let's just get back instead of instead of just trying to to dunk all over the place. I would have loved to have seen that. 
Yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, Cameron Mills, our guy, right for his website. And I think I listened to the podcast of his show, his, you know, Sunday night on 6.30 a.m., uh, WLAP. I listened to it Monday, and, you know, he was on for 79, so the you know, second hour of the show, they were doing the intro, and he was wanting the game to start and was getting irritated at the intro. And I was tweeting back. I, I said, you got to brace the event. Sure, there's a game. But all the peripheral things around it, and I'm talking music, I'm talking, you know, the art, the whole vibe that comes with it that we've just grown accustomed to since we were kids, you got to embrace all of that. You can't just get to the game when it's an all-star game. And I'm just going to throw out two names. And like I said, I'm not like bashing John Legend. Like, I just, I'm like you. I just wish it been a little more up-tempo. With it being in New Orleans, me and my wife are talking about it. This artist, she might not be big enough nationally to have been selected. I think she should have been there. I meant to tweet out a couple of her songs off the show account. But Ledisi, L-E-D-I-S-I, she's from New Orleans. She's got a set of pipes on her. She's got a few CDs out, some good songs out. She came to Louisville. Oh, I can't remember. We were up there in Louisville to see Anthony Hamilton a couple of years ago, and then, like, a couple months later, Lettucey came to Louisville. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I wish we could have gotten back up there to see her. She's from New Orleans. She would have blown the roof off the Smoothie King Center and put on a good show. Another person that's from New Orleans, which, you know, would have been cool just to bring people in, natives of the city, and he actually did perform when Kentucky played Louisville in the Final Four. Of course, most of us were anxious about the game and weren't paying attention, but Trombone Shorty was playing by coming back from commercial. He'd be out there playing in New Orleans, playing jazz, playing kind of upbeat swing jazz. He is great, you know, kind of a newer jazz artist. Hey, they could have brought Wynton Marsalis, too, and let him do something. Those three, I think, could have been kind of incorporated into it. He still had John Legend. But they didn't, so that was my little like. Ah, I wish they could have done that. Different. <laughs> Just had to, could, had to throw had, that out there. Could have had, could have had Master P and the Five Hundred Four Boys come out as well. They, they, hey, we, they could have we made saw, them say, "Oh." We, they, <laughs> we saw plenty. We, we saw plenty of Master P in the Slammy game. Now that was yeah, that was buddy. That was enough of Master <laughs> for me. <laughs> it was. It was it was cool that he brought little Jarius out, the little boy that has the liver disease, and let you know they let him play, and he made a shot. And the little kid's personality is just larger than life. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a bit phased that he was on national TV, that he was hanging out with these celebrities or anything. You know, he was just talking to Draymond Green like he talked to a little fellow four year old. Cool that Master P brought him out, but <laughs> you know. Master P, DJ Khaled, we we've seen plenty of them guys lately. So uh, yeah, we didn't, you know I can just pop in that CD if I want to hear him do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> we did see a lot of Master P. Uh, <laughs> yes, we did. We did. Uh, and Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart's attempting talking about a comeback. You know, he won. He was a four-time celebrity MVP. 
he tweeted out that he missed it. So next year you'll probably see him acting a fool out there uh, wherever the All-Star game is next year. Uh, I bet there'll be some big return of Kevin Hart as some kind of player-coach, comedian-baller combo next year. Um, I've, I've grown tired of Kevin Hart, so he needs to take a seat. Oh. Oh wow, Kevin Hart shade from Teddy Brown. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm not gonna get into any details, but uh, uh, not gonna get sidetracked. But yeah, I, yeah, shade, wow. shade of Kevin Hart. Oh my goodness. All right, well we'll leave it all right there, y'all. Kentucky and Florida play Saturday. I'll just move right along, and we'll all be looking forward to two o'clock on CBS and. We appreciate everybody listening now. Boy, just TV Kevin Hartshay. But like I said, we, you know, Kentucky can avenge their long, bad loss of the season at Rupp Arena, 2 o'clock, CBS. You know, the, it should be a, a pretty jazzed-up, rough crowd. Um, this is for the SEC regular season title, essentially, um, because if they finish tied, Kentucky wins, they have a one-game lead. If Kentucky was to lose and Florida catch up with them again, Kentucky would still have the tiebreaker. So, like you said, for the 50th and 11th time, that's what Kentucky's trying to do. We're all looking forward to it. I appreciate you coming on, as always. And I even appreciate Kevin Hartshade that you ended it with. Of course, we appreciate Jim Eisenhoffer for coming on with us because – he is going to be in high demand for the next few weeks because, like this, New Orleans, all eyes are on New Orleans when it comes to basketball. NBA is watching New Orleans. Everybody's excited about this trade. My Rockets will be the first up to play against Boogie and AD together tomorrow night in New Orleans. So, look, I love them to death, but I'm pulling for Houston. But um, after that, I hope they go on a nice little run after tomorrow night. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Great show. We covered we we covered a lot of ground uh, tonight. As usual, we had a lot of stuff to talk about, so I'm excited. Yes, we look forward to seeing y'all next week. I'm gonna have to throw some more music out there. I have something I was gonna ask you at some point. I've, I've thought about it the past couple of times, but it'll hit me again between now and next week or the week after that, or something like that. But keep tuning in. Hope you keep enjoying what you're hearing. We got some more fun guests that we always try to do uh, coming and lining up down the road. So stay tuned. Keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter. TV, have a good evening. Everybody else listening, have a good evening as well. We'll see y'all this time next week on Cat Talk Wednesday. Benny Hardy, former man, Cherry TV Brown. This is Benny Hardy. We'll see y'all next Wednesday. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Have a good week, everybody.